Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for another edition of the Mainland Podcast, episode number 64. And I'm Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, the managing editor and founder. I am here with... Senior columnist Andrew Harrison. Andrew, how you doing this week? I'm feeling pretty good, Michael. How you doing? Well, coming off of three big points on the road and two straight wins, uh, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> feeling pretty good. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had back-to-back wins, uh, but Orlando City, without Kyle Laren, without Kevin Molino, goes up to the Montreal Impact and delivers with Carlos Rivas at striker. What did you think of that Tour de Force performance? Well, I think if people went back or listened to last week's podcast, you knew that we didn't have much hope for uh, the young Colombian. But he he showed last night what, oh, on Wednesday night, what people see in him, what this front office has believed in him from the day that they made him a young DP on this roster. And he showed that he is a striker and not a winger last night. And we can now not have to worry about burning Kyle Aaron out. We have a potential substitute and replacement for him sitting and waiting on the bench. Yeah, I'd like to see him do it again before we make that proclamation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he he started up top. We've seen it before, and he has looked completely lost at striker mm-hmm. in the past. He's been offside, you know, thousands of times, I think, seemingly. <laughs> um, he's He's, you know, sent shots into the upper deck of stadiums. Uh, maybe out of, out stadiums, of some stadiums, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's he's taken shots that have resulted in throw-ins. Um, he's not been good, in other words, especially in the final third. Where he's been good, surprisingly, is crossing the ball in from the left side. That's where he's been like world-class good uh, in in past appearances. But in in when we've seen up up top, even you know under Adrian Heath, under Bobby Murphy, he has not looked good at all or comfortable. And you had to wonder a guy who was only who had only played, you know, twelve minutes in the last six games, so a month and a half worth of games basically. How was he going to come out and perform? And it wasn't always perfect. He was he did see some signs of rust. I mean, the first goal was basically him whiffing on a shot and uh, inadvertently sending the ball straight to Breck Shea. Um, but it was. It was a great performance. In fact, the way I've been describing it all day is this may be the third time since he's been with Orlando City that you could say he played like a DP. 
you could you could maybe point back to last year's Colorado game, last year's New York Red Bulls game on the road where he had the the several assists, and and then Wednesday night he really looked like a DP. I think. I, I certainly agree, and I think what really was important and what I took away from Jason Kreiss' press conference was that they told him he was going to start this game. He had the ability to get himself mentally ready for playing up top. And soccer, any position that you play, is about being mentally ready. And I think giving them that warning that he was going to get a chance and that he wasn't just subbing in for an injury and he had the ability to understand how he was going to play the game tactically allowed him to be that designated player that he gets paid as and Mm -hmm. he really was able to knit so many things together but what i would also say is i think that his game helped by the fact that you have somebody like uh, matthias perez garcia who's now that engine room who's got the ability to distribute and he's not Rivas isn't being forced to overwork himself. He's having the ability to be that lone striker and not have to do it all himself. And that's what we saw from him last night. He wasn't doing everything, even though he ultimately looked like he did everything on the statute. <laughs> he he was just the, the the guy up front who was able to put it in the ball. Yeah, did he whiff it? He certainly... You know he's trying to score that and you think he's going to have the same night as always, but it then breaks for him. And that's also what we're starting to see under crisis leadership is that a player can have a bad five, ten minutes and then all of a sudden develop into a star. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I, you know, you hit the nail a little bit on the head there earlier when you, you talked about him having a chance to mentally prepare himself. Now, a lot of people really kind of forget he's still a fairly young player. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, you know, these, these games that he comes in as a sub, he isn't maybe mentally preparing himself because he's maybe sulking that he didn't get the start and whatnot. You know, these are kinds of things that he'll learn to be a professional, hopefully, and get himself mentally ready, whether he's, he knows he's in the starting lineup or not. Mm-hmm. You know, don't pout. You know, get yourself ready. That way, when you get that call, whether it's as a, a replacement for somebody who's tired, replacement for somebody who's injured, or just a coach's whim, you know, you can come in and contribute and be successful. And I think that that's something that he still needs to work on. But maybe Jason Kreiss is more adept at, at getting people to make that transformation than, than Adrian Heath was. And no knock to Adrian Heath. I've, I've, you know, I have a lot of respect for Adrian, what he brought to this team, the, the trophies that he brought here, uh, what he started to build. You know, obviously a very different style than Jason Kreiss, but I think there are maybe some coaches that reach certain players better. And, and I think all you got to do is look at the way Rivas performed uh, under Jason Christ, the way Antonio Nocherino has performed under Jason Christ, compared to how they performed under Adrian Heath. Uh, without a doubt, you you can't. If you were to put Nocherino and Rivas, it, just look comparing them, or at least Rivas with last year and Nocherino with earlier this season, they look like completely different players. And I don't think you can put that all down to just the fact that they've had longer time in the league. This is mm-hmm. about in ethos that they're seeing in training a mentality that they're seeing from the top down um you're also seeing consistent partnerships okay we've had injuries this season but i think that was the third or fourth game in a row where you've had a solid consistent defensive midfield partnership uh that was Aja and mateos's second game in a row as partners you're mm-hmm. starting to see that theme of the continuity is so important and if you can get that and even if you lose two people two pieces like Molino and Laren, you've 
built those guys up to have that same mentality that you aren't going to try to switch roles and require the, the rest of the team to do something else. You know, what we used to see was a player would go down injured and all of a sudden the whole ethos or the shape of the team would have to change. Formation wouldn't change, but everything else and people's roles and responsibilities would have to change. Mm-hmm. I don't think we saw that last night. What we said was, okay, we've, we've got to take out Laren. We're going to put in another pacey young forward who has the ability to muscle people off the ball. We're going to then take out Molino and we're going to put in somebody else who has the ability to do just what Molino does, which is run around the field and drive other defenders crazy. We weren't asking Breck and Rivas to do something else. We were asking them to do the role that Molino and Laren do week in, week out, just for this time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because that's what great teams do is they lose a player, the system doesn't change, just the player changes. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, performance from, from everybody. I thought that the the team looked like maybe it's it's starting to round into shape into, into what Jason Christ sort of envisions and... You know, let's get into the recap a little bit. You know, it started off very poorly. Orlando City uh, turned the ball over at midfield, created a a counterattack, a quick counterattack, and uh, Jose Aja committed to foul outside the box. Really didn't have much choice. He had to foul uh, Piatti uh, or uh, allow a good scoring chance, so he he committed the foul outside the box. And Drogba steps up to drill the free kick right at Bendik, and somehow it went in the net. Bendik put his hands up to punch and it just skipped right off his, his outstretched hands and into the net. And so basically about 70 seconds or 80 seconds into the match, you're already down a goal on the road, and you're going, oh, my goodness. I'm sure you uh, <laughs> you were like at, like me at the same time thinking, how bad is it going to be? You know, what's the final going to be at that point? Uh, without a doubt, I was like, okay, I'll just start writing the five takeaways right now, uh, and, and just <laughs> it's just going to go and get worse from here. Um and one of my takeaways was kind of also the fact that this was Bendik getting punished for consistently trying to punch mm. when occasionally you have to catch it. He wasn't really being challenged. He, he That was a catchable ball. I know it was coming at pace. It certainly mm-hmm. moves on the replay. But if it's moving, your odds of punching it are even worse than catching it. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would have seen there, you know, I saw the same thing you did. He wasn't under a lot of pressure. Uh, you put the palms up and, and you know, you at least deaden it and knock it down to your feet mm-hmm. so you can catch it on the bounce. You know, you don't have to, even if it's too hot to handle cleanly, you know, you do that little goalie move where you just kind of pat, pat it, it yep. down in front and, and pick it up. And I think that he certainly could have done that, probably wishes he would have. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen uh, throughout the season and, and even later in the game uh, Wednesday night, Joe makes incredible saves, and, and, you know, everybody makes mistakes, and that certainly was a howler uh, from Joe. It was probably his worst moment of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's played every game in the MLS, and he's he's been rock solid back there. So, you know, I guess you're going to have to live with the occasional mistake from any goalkeeper. So uh, certainly forgivable, I would say. Uh, especially forgivable because his teammates picked him up within two minutes. Um, a great bit of play, Matias Perez Garcia. As you said, he's like, he's he's the engine room now. He's the new Adrian Venter, only more skilled. And uh, he worked with Kaká around the the right side. It came in across for uh, Rivas in the middle. As we said, Rivas went to to try to strike it in. Uh, it went off him to Shea. Shea was wide open. All he had to do was finish, and he did. 
and made it 1-1, and then you start feeling a little bit better, better about yourself. Yeah, because we're not really the team. Usually we're the team that scores first and then concedes afterwards. This time mm-hmm. we kind of flipped it on our head, and it was one person. I mean, you kind of... When Breck Shea scored, you were like, oh my god, Breck Shea scored. And <laughs> you realized that it was potentially going to be a good night. You, anything can anything happen. Anything can happen because Breck <laughs> Shea scored. And, you, I mean, we weren't to know what was to come, but it was kind of a momentous moment, I think, that we had some somebody else scoring. And yeah. I thought it was a good goal. Um, once again, MPG was really the, the person that was responsible, even though um, MLS also gave Rivas an assist on that, too. Yeah, well, I mean, it touched him, so I guess they kind of had to, yeah. <laughs> because their rules are weird. I, I really kind of wish they had more hockey-type rules on the assists, um, because whatever happens, it, you know, like hockey doesn't have own goals. They give the goal to the guy who created the own goal, basically, whoever was was in front of the net creating the havoc and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So they don't have own goals, and then they also have they have key the key passes that set up the goal, whether it's one key pass or two, those are assists. And and that's I kind of like that system. Of course, I'm a little biased because I grew up, uh, you know, working in hockey through my younger days. And um, you know, I kind of like it that way. But yeah, assist for Rivas. So he's involved in the first goal. Then Orlando City gets a second goal through the captain. The captain coming off a brace. He liked it because he he did it again. <laughs> he scores. Uh, just another again great passing play. And uh, this time. Uh, I think it was Perez Garcia getting it to Rivas. Rivas not trying to do the impossible and take on the defender right in front of him, a little bit off balance. Made a nice play to just chip it over to his left to Kaká, and really, again, all he had to do was finish. Yeah, I mean, Kaká will take those all day, every day. And at the start of the season, Kaká said Laren needed to be less selfish and allow Kaká to score more goals. I think (laughs) you saw that straight away from Rivas. And that was a sense of maturity that I think... Rivas was lacking under Heath. Um, he is, and, and obviously, like you say, we want to see it from a more than one game, but I mm-hmm. think that is maturity, is the fact that he didn't just decide to try and hit it. He looked around, he had the knowledge that somebody else was capable, and that he was capable of getting it there. Um, and yeah. I thought it was a great pass, and Kaká will eat those things up all day as the former World Player of the Year. Absolutely. Uh, what did you think? I, I want to get your take on Kaká's bicycle kick attempt. Well, I mean, you like to see people attempt them, but when they <laughs> get them, it's like he forgot all the moves in the rotation. <laughs> yeah, he, to me it was like, I'm going to bicycle kick this. What the heck am I doing? And like Midway decided to change his mind and say, nah. I think you then remembered that he was almost 30, he's 34 going on 35, and you probably shouldn't be landing on his back anytime soon. Yeah, my my mind says I can do this, but I'm not that sure, you know. Uh, so, yeah, muscle memory was saying, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bicycle kick this, score a goal. And then Midway went, wait a minute, nope, nope, <laughs> abort, abort. <laughs> Uh, it was it was a bit of a comical moment, but that's okay because he scored uh, the second goal from the penalty spot again, set up by Carlos Rivas's speed. A long ball forward, Rivas beats Evan Bush to the ball, ta- taps it away from the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper gra- uh, grabs the ankle, gets a bit of the right ankle. Uh, did Rivas sell it? Sure he did. He should sell it. I mean, he's not getting to that ball anyway. Uh, actually, he probably could have got to the ball and tucked it in, but... 
uh, at that point, he's being spun around. It's a much safer play to just go to the ground and wait for the wait for the referee to point to the spot, which he did. And it was a deserved penalty. Yeah, again, he sold it, but it was still a foul. And, uh, you know, what did you think? Did you think the denial of uh, goal-scoring opportunities? Did you think red card there? Uh, I did not think red card. I think that I don't think even with Rivas' speed he catches that. We have to remember that this is a guy who does have a very heavy first touch, not mm-hmm. Haji Berry heavy first touch, um, but it, it is a heavy first touch. I think he deliberately kind of goes in knowing that the, the PK is the best option for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't see it as a dog, so I think it was more that he's probably should have got a yellow card because I don't think Rivas catches that, and if he does catch it. Is there somebody coming on the backside to potentially trail in at least to block him? Maybe. Um, I, I I kind of thought it was a little bit of a harsh card, um, but still, I, I don't see even if Bush stayed on the field that he saves that PK. Yeah, I agree with that, and I would say I was surprised to see the red fly right away. I was, because I, I didn't really think about it. I just thought, you know, that would have been a tough, not an impossible play, but I think it would have been a tough play for Rivas to have tracked the ball down and got a shot from a tight angle mm-hmm. before the keeper recovered or before a defender maybe slid in across the line to maybe try to block it. I That would be, I, it would be an interesting one for replay. I think if there was a video uh, replay assistant, um, I think that would have been one of those that they would have went upstairs to, to, you know, and, and called down and said, take a look at that and, and see if there was a defender lurking that maybe could have blocked that and then may have, may have changed that red to a yellow. Well, I, I, and I kind of brought that up with somebody I was chatting with in, in Slack was that in a VAR model, you know, how, how do they make that? Because it was pretty an immediate red card. But would mm-hmm. you see it as a yellow and then you call for upstairs to see if it's a red or do you give the red and then have them change it back to a yellow? But also, <clears throat> right now, MLS Disciplinary Committee requires a unanimous decision. Are we going to have a VAR team or is it just going to be one single guy that has the ability to overrule the referees? Because then we're second-guessing everything and that's where hazards lie. Um, well, the way that the, the way that the USL did it, when Orlando City B went to to New York Red Bulls too, was that if there was a something that the video replay official wanted the official to look at, he would call down, and then there was a, there was a, like a, a tablet for him to watch the replay on. Okay. So it was the game referee. So the game referee makes the call he's going to make on the field. If there's an opportunity to say maybe this needs a second look, they. The, you know, the guy will call down on, on only certain types of plays, but that was certainly one of them, the red yeah. card there, the, the denial of goal-scoring chance. That's one that he would have gone over to the end line, looked at the tablet, and made the decision, you know, basically while everybody was lining up and getting outside the box and putting the ball on the spot and that kind of thing. It wouldn't have really taken a long long time, especially since it was a keeper and they needed to replace him anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had to make the, you know, you had to make the goalie change and, and the substitution and all that. So... Uh, that's the way it would have worked. Would they have changed it? It, it would be interesting to, to hear what, maybe what uh, what an official thinks about that one. But uh, nevertheless, it was a red card sending off of Evan Bush, putting uh, Montreal down to 10 men for the second straight game, although they did okay against Toronto on 10 men. Um, Kaká sends, uh, sends the uh, backup keeper scrambling to his right and uh, went right down the pipe for uh, goal number three. 
And it was basically over at that point. But it was weird because Orlando City does not look comfortable playing against 10 men. It's almost like they don't know what to do. And all they had to do was keep doing what they were doing. I, I, they, they did have to do that. But what I think what happens is all of a sudden the person, uh, the 10 men means somebody doesn't have a job. And I think that's what ultimately destroys our shape and leads to the the calamitous last 10 minutes that existed in this game, which, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to get there. This game literally had everything except an own goal and a serious injury. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it was just one of those games. It almost had an own goal. <laughs> and it almost did. I mean, it, it's it, 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 when we go down to 10 men, I think somebody loses their ability to do their job. And so they just... They just run around, and that's where we become dangerous. That's where we start to slip into the Adrian Heath model of mm-hmm. of no shape, um, man to man rather than zonal or grid based marking. At this point, um, we just kind of collapse, and, and and it looks dangerous. And unfortunately, this fortunately this time we got away with it. Yeah, it's just a combination of things. I think part of it is you're up three goals and a man and so there's that natural tendency to let down a little bit i don't have to work as hard i don't have to run as hard as more of us you know that kind of thing but you do because those guys those guys are a talented team mm-hmm. i mean uh, montreal has a heck of a heck of a team and you know piotti will burn you if you give him space and so will drogba and uh, you know they don't they don't need a whole lot of space to get that done uh bendick made an amazing save uh, a couple of amazing saves actually he made a a save on Drogba on a play that uh, the ball came in over the top. Aduro got it across, and I don't know how Bendik made that save, uh, but he made a diving save to kind of make up for the the howler early in the game. Yeah, I, he had no right in getting to that <laughs> save. Um, but once again, I think reflexes are his real strong suit. Um, mm-hmm. When he has the ability to overthink it, I think that's where he runs into trouble. But those snapshot one-on-ones where he's just right time he he gets it right his positioning occasionally was lacking I, earlier in the season you know Brent Petkiss was very much doubtful on his positioning but it's gotten mm-hmm. better and in that snapshot moments in time he's always in the right place yeah he's a good shot stopping goalkeeper his his weaknesses seem to be on on crosses and set pieces and that kind of thing where he's he's forced to make a decision do I need to commit do I need to stay on my line that kind of thing and um, you know he made a great play there also uh, later in the game, um, a, a downy soft penalty <laughs> given to given to Montreal to sort of even things up. Uh, I thought um, M- uh, Mancosu uh, for for Montreal certainly went looking for the penalty. I think Mateos pulled out his feet as much as he could humanly do. And was there a little contact? Sure, but was it a foul? Uh, you're 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 not getting that call at midfield, so I don't know why you're getting it in the box. Yeah, I, it was. I, I said it in takeaways. It was a pure makeup call, um, yeah. and I think it was a makeup call not for the fa- not for the giving of the penalty. It was a giving up for the sending off. Um, it, it, it wasn't a foul. You don't get that, as you say. You wouldn't get that in midfield. I think Mateos did really well. And if it was a foul, serious enough for an infraction of a penalty, you probably should have seen a yellow card given to Mateos. Mm-hmm. Um, for the awarding of that free for that penalty kick, um, which we didn't, which is good because that means Mateos is going to play um, on <laughs> Sunday, but it, it's just not a penalty. And I think it was also just desserts that once again soccer karma allowed Joe Bendik to save it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was an interesting take for Drogba, just a one step 
you know, one step and kick. And, you know, I guess the theory there is that, it, you know, you're disguising where you're going with the ball. The goalkeeper doesn't have a lot of time to react. But Joe Bendick reacted and he did well to keep it out. I mean, there wasn't a ton of power and pace on it, but it was placed very well. And he, he still got the hand to it. So he kept uh, kept that uh, that number one, the straight number on the board, no crooked number for Montreal. And, uh, uh, you know, Orlando City capped it with just an amazingly gorgeous ball from Julio Baptista uh, to spring uh, Rivas, who, who scored from a pretty decent angle on the left side. But, man, did he tuck that thing in. It, it was it was perfect. Um, the ball from Baptista was perfect. His stride um, was absolutely wonderful. Um, it kind of reminded me of Piotti's um, goal against Toronto um, last week where he just kind of took it down in stride and was able to turn it. And those were the types of... If we hadn't seen him have the game it was, we would have cringed that he was in that position with that ball because the next thing you would have known it would have been in row Z. Instead, he was having <laughs> a great game. And it, yeah. it was inch perfect. The goalkeeper stood no chance. It was right into the side netting, and it was just a beautiful goal to cap off a great DP-worthy performance. <clears throat> yep, all Kronberg could do was watch that thing go into the side netting and and uh, watch the f- number four go up on the board for the visitors. First time in, I think it was two years since Montreal's given up four goals uh, in a game. So that was uh, maybe only at home, but I, I remember seeing that on uh, the op- Opta Jack had something on Twitter the other day about mm. that. Um, so, you know, as if we didn't see everything in the game, you know, Kevin Alston put one off his own post late, which was, <laughs> you know, inches from an own goal and an emphatic own goal. Cause he crushed that ball. Um, it would have, it would have looked like he was, you know, trying to score if he, if that thing had gone in, it would have been, uh, I don't think he would have ever scored a goal for his own team that was, you know, put in with that much pace. That great. Yeah. But, uh, and then of course, the infamous uh, call from Sylvia Petrescu, who I thought gave out a couple yellows each way that probably shouldn't have given out either. Um, he calls the indirect free kick from the top <laughs> of the six-yard box on a ball that Jose Aja in no way, shape, or form meant to, as a back pass to Bendik. And, uh, you know, as, as we said all night, ball don't lie on a number of occasions, and it didn't lie then because Orlando City was able to clear. And I think it was Rivas that cleared that. I think it was. I, I can't remember because I was just so blown. I haven't seen an indirect free kick inside of the penalty box in, I'm going to say, at least a decade. Like, yeah, they don't come they around very often. so rarely. Um, and so I was just kind of flabbergasted that it it had actually occurred uh, but yeah. i think it was probably probably was revest there was just so many bodies on the line and once again it was a team effort that i think you don't necessarily see under heath not to keep bragging on him i just don't think that luck goes our way or that we're not well disciplined because drogba already tried to pull us offside even though you can't do that in that situation. <laughs> he tried to drag us out of position so that he was able to squeeze yeah. one in, and it didn't work for him. Kind of the way yeah. that he kind of soft-pushed the penalty, too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite a night, and it was, uh, it was great to get the win and, and to win back-to-back games. First road win in, after 11 unsuccessful tries, uh, winning, the, winning the first road game at New York City, then 11 without a win, and then a, an emphatic win at, Orla- at uh, Montreal, and now Orlando City has won three consecutive games over the Montreal Impact. Um, I'm going to, of course, say that Carlos Rivas was my man of the match. I will give a very strong honorable mention to both MPG and Kaká in this game. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to go with you there, and, and 
despite his flubbing of the Montreal goal, I would also give a little bit of credit to Joe Bendick because I think yes. if he doesn't stop that goal, uh, the, make that save in the 39th minute, this is a little bit of a different game just because oh, yeah. Drogba put so many shots on frame. And I think it became Drogba's mission to kind of beat Joe Bendick and Joe Bendick was just not having it. Uh, and mm-hmm. I like that to see in a goalkeeper. But really, you have to give it to Rivas because nobody was expecting that kind of performance. And you can't score a goal, <laughs> get two assists, <laughs> also create a penalty for somebody else, and just play with such a plum in a team that you hadn't played for, what was 12 minutes and two months, um, mm-hmm. to come in and put that kind of thing against a really strong Montreal defense that wasn't missing anybody on the back line. Um, it was a great performance from everybody, but Rivas gets it for me too. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because Lawrence, I, I have thought for the last few years, last couple of years, I've thought Lawrence Simon is the best center back in, in MLS. Yeah, and MPG made him look silly on the one goal. Yep. Uh, taking the ball right off his foot and, and crossing it across to, uh, to Rivas and Rivas uh, getting it to Kaká. That was an amazing takeaway and, you know, from a guy like Simon, you don't expect that kind of giveaway. But that just shows you what, what uh, Matias Perez Garcia has brought to this team. He's he's a guy that I didn't really know this, but it was on the pregame uh, pregame show that Jason Christ wanted him as long ago as when he was in Real Salt Lake. Wow, I did not know so that. So he's been targeting him, and that's a big pickup, and that kind of makes me feel better about maybe the Lions getting to keep him next season. Yeah, I think. Maybe we're starting to see Christ putting his little stamp on that. It was an interesting trade because Saren was loved by the fans, but I think we've really gotten the better end of this bargain because he's been the spark to make that playoff push. Um, and whereas Saren got sent off for San Jose, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a case of two. <laughs> it's a case of two players, um, but it's good. I think he's really been that connection between the front and back that this team has been missing for so long. Um, yeah. He's just been able to connect. And the way he's come in and played with Kaká, it's like he's been playing with him for years. Yeah. Well, Saren did get sent off for San Jose, right? He gets sent off for El Salvador? Oh, I thought he got sent off for San Jose, too. Well, he may have, he may have been. He's, you know, he's, not, he's not above getting sent off every now and again. Um, but, yeah, it was because I think the, the Canada game, Laren scored, and I think Saren got sent off as an eventful game for Orlando City and former Lions. Um, so, anyway, uh, you talked about Rivas taking the ball in stride perfectly off a long pass, and that's a perfect segue into the Pride's draw with Sky Blue FC because Matty Evans made – you know, I haven't been a big. I'm just going to say it. I haven't been a big fan of some of the players on the Pride's first year team, and you're going to have that on expansion teams. And Matty Evans is one of the players that I didn't see the value that maybe Tom Sermani sees, or maybe you know her teammates see. But man, she set Alex Morgan up with just a gorgeous pass, and Morgan scoring in back-to-back games uh, for the first time in a while for the Pride, and and uh, is now kind of climbing up the score sheet for. Uh, for Orlando, uh, for Orlando, the Orlando Pride. I almost said Orlando City, uh, but yeah, Morgan scores. Um, you know, the Pride, uh, the Pride give up a late goal uh, to Kerr and, and a draw one-one in New Jersey against Sky Blue. Uh, but I think the bigger story is Ashlyn Harris, the the very accomplished goalkeeper for um, the Pride and also of the U.S. Women's National Team. She was just uh, named, in fact, to the to the friendlies that are coming up. Um, 
she had some very vocal things to say about her defense, uh, letting her down and, and letting letting teams come in and, and get onto rebounds and that kind of thing, and and threw them under the bus a little bit, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, you don't goalkeepers are not want to complain. They understand they have one of the hardest jobs on the field. They take a lot of mm-hmm. flack for teams losing, even if it's not necessarily their fault. They just put up with it, and I think we saw that from Harris. This team wasn't. It was winning, but it wasn't great before she left for the Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. It certainly hasn't gotten any better. I believe Kyle is still starting on the back line. We are still playing with a makeshift back line. But for the fact that Harris comes out and says that the people in front of her just aren't good enough, that's not a great way to end the season. That's not a great way to get confidence to let them help you out because they're going to say, you know what, okay, you fix it. And you're going to have to save a lot more. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a struggle because um, you know you wonder you know, these things usually don't bubble out into you know these things are usually handled behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And to to hear a player call out her teammates in the press is is um, it's not it's certainly not a great uh, a great uh, look for Orlando Pride, and I'm sure it's something that Tom Sermani is going to have to address before it becomes a real problem. Yeah, oh, I, without a doubt, and. But once again, Harris made two great saves, and she's great at the one-on-ones. She does need that support. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to get back. She's not going to be able to do it alone. But it's also not something that you, as Tom Samani, want to see her go out and say that. She has an ardent Twitter following. Um, She's one of the more recognized names on your team, and she's basically calling out your entire back line. That's Mm -hmm. not good. That's not good for bringing people in either. When this team is a team that needs acquisitions, okay, it's expansion. It's always going to struggle, but it needs to get good talent on that back line. And having a detrimental remarks kind of goalkeeper isn't going to allow one people to bring come in. No, and, and you know you got to look at Laura Alloway being out with an injury, and um, of course Steph Catley. And Monica played, and she played. You know she started the game. Uh, Josie Belanger started the game. Um, you know, you've got international players there that should be able to, you know, up to the task. Uh, Kaylin Kyle is, is not a center back by trade, but she is an international player with very uh, a great deal of experience. And, you know, these are players that you would think would be able to keep things out. Now, it's the end of a long season. They're eliminated from the playoffs. Maybe they weren't putting forth the effort. And maybe this is Ashlyn Harris being trying to be a leader and saying, we're not getting the effort that Sky Blue got in this game. And we need to see this season out strong. Yeah, I think we have to. I think for the fans, I know I got my um, email today about renewing my season ticket for the Pride. Um, This team needs to finish strong. It needs to have momentum going into it because I I think we're probably going to see there's some rumblings that maybe there will be a new team joining NWSL. Um, That's going to put a little bit more of a crunch on talent. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to want to be competing at the very best and getting strong and having a good fan base is a way to acquire and make teams want to play for you. Absolutely. So the pride will, uh, will get the second half of that home and home this weekend. Uh, Sky blue coming into camping world stadium on Saturday night, and I'll be on hand for that one. So uh, we'll bring you that on Twitter and also a recap uh, of the match. And hopefully uh, the Orlando pride can, you know, can, uh, can get back in the win column. It's been a while. So, uh, six games now without a win. Although they snapped a five-game losing streak with the tie, with the tie uh, against Sky Blue, 
Andrew, OCB is in free fall right now. Uh, they haven't won in a while, and they're losing their hold on that eighth spot if they don't turn things around quickly. Only a few games left in the season, but they're all on the road. Uh, Wilmington seemed like a place that they should be able to maybe get a result, and they were nil-nil at the half, but completely fell apart in the second half, lost 3 nothing. It At this point, they've been without Rocha and Ambrose for a while. Um, there's got to be more to it, although... Pierre De Silva also was missing uh, with the U19 national team. Uh, and Lewis Neal also was out. Uh, not sure. I guess uh, he had a knock because he was uh, he was the, the color uh, guy. analyst. Yeah, he was the color analyst for the Orlando City broadcast. Um, what's going on there besides the, the loss of those two players? What do you think? I don't. They have decided that they want to finish this season as they started this season. <laughs> they have just decided that throw caution to the wind and we're going to see what happens. This was no doubt a game that I'm sure that Pulis saw on this run in is being a three points to keep us above the line, making sure they can kind of grind out those last three games and just stay above it. He doesn't have to get emphatically into the playoffs. He just has to make the playoffs. Um, Right now, this team is probably not capable of doing that because they just seem devoid of confidence they don't seem to have all of the pieces that they had when they had Rocha and Ambrose available. Okay, you can say Lewis Neal brings a lot of experience there. He's got a lot of games under his belt. But I don't think this team is... So, I, I don't want to say it's a lack of confidence. It just seems to be that they've forgotten the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in a league like USL where you're playing so many games in a tight, compacted season with a lot of travel you're going to struggle if you kind of forget the basics. And this team has to get back on track in three road games against some good teams still. They're going to struggle. Yeah, they've got some They've got some games that they could get results in. They've got Bethlehem Steel still. They've got Toronto FC too. And uh, those are games that they should maybe be able to get results and we'll we'll just have to see if they can they can pull it out. They they have so far kept their their heads above that red line. Uh, but time's running out and they can't afford to to be passed at this point. They have to get it done. Sunday night they're at uh, Toronto FC2 and uh, if they can just at least get a draw in that game and get some help elsewhere because some of these other teams are going to be playing at home so they're going to have some advantages. Um, you know, they may be able to still squeak in and, and they really need uh, they need guys to step up that have been uh, at the next level. Guys like Harrison Heath and Tyler Turner have got to step up and and play like guys that have been on on the first team. Yeah, they have to bring their even their limited experience to this. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to show what they're made of, give some metal. Um, cuz you also remember these are people that are <laughs> they're on the MLS squad, you know, and and Christ is looking for them to mm-hmm. have that fortitude. Um if you can't cut it here, how are you going to cut it in MLS where it means a lot more to the fan base you have to show that you've got it and these are about people that we're supposed to be developing for the future your Connor Donovans your Devron Garcias your Richie Lareas your Mendozas to a certain extent if these guys don't have it what do you do USL is a melting pot of talent that moves around at the end of every season you have to make a, a cut and you have to make quick decisions about who you're going to let go who you're going to keep um and these guys need to hopefully stay above that red line to get that extra game to maybe keep their position with OCB. Yeah, well, 
they've got three games left, Toronto FC on Sunday. Uh, the following Saturday, the 17th, uh, when Orlando City is playing, uh, hosting Columbus, uh, OCB will be at Cincinnati. That will be a very difficult game to get a result in. Uh, it'll be a huge crowd. Cincinnati's a good team, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. And uh, then they'll have a little bit more than a week off before the 25th when they end the season against Bethlehem Steel FC on the road. And that may be a, a game that decides that final playoff spot. So all to do for OCB. Uh, if they can get a win at Toronto on Sunday, they will be in a very, very good position. Uh, if they do not, they could be on the outside looking in after having that, you know, that really great streak in the middle of the season that propelled them upward. Um, and it, it could all go for naught. So uh, they've got to look themselves in the mirror. They've got to listen to Anthony Pulis, and they've got to get uh, get some points. And that's uh, it's never easy on the road, but that's what they're faced with because they didn't get it done at home against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds last week. So uh, that will take care of the three teams that were all in action on Wednesday. Uh, that was kind of an interesting night uh, for those of us on the staff. It was it was all hands on deck, and Sean did a great job with the OCB recap, as he usually did. Meg pitched in and covered the, the pride, and uh, you know Scott and Jeremy and, and yourself, you all... Uh, did well with the coverage with uh, Montreal. I handled Twitter and editing duties and kind of coordinating everything. And, and it was it was very hectic and a lot to do, but it was a fun night. I just don't want too many of those in the future. Well, Let's space those games out, guys. Well, we get to do it all again this weekend. At least mm, a little, a bit, little yeah. bit, yeah. As mentioned, Saturday I will be at the, the Pride game, and then Orlando City and Orlando City B will both play on Sunday. So, uh, unfortunately, it's a 7 o'clock game with, against the Galaxy. You know, a lot of times you'll get that Sunday game in the earlier afternoon, but not to be this time. We're, uh, you know, it's nice and early for the West Coasters, but for <laughs> us it's 7 o'clock. And then uh, Orlando City B uh, at 7.30. So, uh, Sean will be live tweeting the, the OCB game. That's at Mainland Sean. And uh, we, will, we will have the Orlando City match. Uh, to take care of. And then, uh, you know, again, next week, OCB and, and Orlando City at the same time. And the next week after that, the next Saturday after that, the Pride will play at 5, and then the Orlando City will play at 7. So, you know, there's just no rest for us here in this home stretch. Nope. Uh, but we're not complaining. Uh, just up the road from Orlando, there was a, a game Tuesday night of note as the U.S. men's national team put it on Trinidad and Tobago to win Group C and uh, qualify emphatically for the Hex. Uh, an amazing performance by Christian Pusilic, who uh, helped everyone else score, but he couldn't find a goal himself. Uh, just a great night for the U.S. and not such a great night for Kevin Molino. Yeah, it was a great, good performance from the U.S. men's national team. They looked like they wanted to win it. I think there was a stat that said that they haven't, they've won like their qualifying group for the hex for like the last five tournaments. Um, This is just where they excel. Um, You say they should, they should be excelling. I mean, they're not playing some of the greatest teams in the world. Um, (laughs) It shouldn't always be this hard. They shouldn't be having to come down to a crunch game for first or second. Um, But it was a great performance. They've really unearthed a great talent in Christian Pulisic and They've got some good young guys that can go on and, and probably hopefully take this team through some latter stages of the next major tournament. You know, what's really amazing is, you know, a lot of people have been beating the drum to get Sasha Kleschen a look uh, with the U.S. men's national team. And, you know, 
Jurgen Klinsmann has just basically ignored him uh, the way he's been ignoring Benny Fellhaber. <laughs> Uh, but he finally gets him in the game last uh, the last game, and you know he, he contributes. And again, he, you know he let, he opened the scoring and, and really helped create a lot of chances in that midfield. Uh, Sasha Kleshin is on top of his game right now. Yeah, he's a solid engine player. And what's amazing is he was getting overlooked, yet Chris Wondolaski was getting picked. And <laughs> I, you know the Red Bulls knew who they were getting when they, I think they traded to get to the top of the allocation order for question. They gave up a fair few pieces, if I remember correctly. They knew the type of player they were getting. Um, it just took Jürgen Klingsman a really long time to realize that Sasha Kleschen had a place in his typical formation and his typical mm-hmm. style of play. Um, and it was a good goal from him. Um, I thought it was a good left-footed goal, uh, <laughs> which you don't necessarily <laughs> see from him. Um, it was just a great performance. He had a good, solid engine room, and that's what, you know, Bradley is a box-to-box guy, but you occasionally need somebody to just sit and hold and distribute because you've got a really fast, wingy team, um, and you've got usually two young guys playing up front too um, if Dempsey's missing uh, that you can just latch the ball through to and, and hope for the best. Yep, not everybody had a good game. I didn't think it was a particularly good game for Bobby Wood or, or Alejandro Padoya. Uh, but I thought a lot of the other players played well. I thought Bobby and Johnson did well. He set up a goal. Josie scored a couple of goals and, um, you know, uh, came away. Pa- Paul Areola, nice to see a young, young player get in the game and not only score a goal, but just he really looked like he belonged. Yeah, he, he, he's one of those guys that, once again, you have to watch out for. And the, it's going to be an interesting hex. <laughs> it <laughs> it is. game against Mexico, and I think it will really set the tone for how this team um, goes through the hex. It really excites me as a as a fan of the U.S. men's national team to see guys like Ariola contributing, guys like Pulisic control, uh, you know, contributing, and uh, Bobby Wood. These guys are are guys that are, are you know should be in the program for a while, and they will transition that from the the Josie and the the Clint and those guys and Michael Bradley into that next group. And I think there'll be an, a, there's a good solid nucleus building, and it's good to see those those stars of tomorrow starting to already get on the field and, and contribute. So, uh, big win. And as you said, you know it's 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 too bad it had to come down to the final game of the group stage uh, to clinch a spot in the hex. But you know, U.S. stumbled at Guatemala, stumbled a bit at Trinidad and Tobago. So, um, you know, they they come away with the win, and you know when the game was on the line and they had to have it, they're on home soil, and uh, you know. They got the job done and, you know, did it pretty comfortably. So it's good to see the, the U.S. move on. And um, we'll see what happens uh, when they play Mexico and uh, Columbus <laughs> to start the heck. So that'll be a fun one. We're looking, we're hoping for another Dos Acero. We're hoping for it. Uh, Mexico <laughs> is uh, <laughs> going to provide a much sterner test for this team. but mm-hmm. And... It will be an interesting one, and I can't wait to see what happens. Mexico uh, drew Honduras uh, in the final day of group play, uh, but that was good enough to get both of those teams through. Mexico had already clinched, and uh, Kyle Lahren scoring a goal in a 3-1 win for Canada over El Salvador, but it was not enough to overcome what they needed to overcome to get in. So Canada is out, and um, that's at least uh, less wear and tear on our Canadian international. It's, it is just as we find a potential person who can spot him off. We he goes out. Um, I know Christ was asked how he thinks it's going to affect him. I I don't think it's going to affect him that much. It's still 
18 months till the tournament. <laughs> I feel like it's really sad that they're going to have to play some meaningless friendlies to kind of keep that pace that Canada was going for. Um, because those are usually the games where our players get hurt. But we, <laughs> it, it's good that he's hopefully not going to have to make all those trips and he might get a quiet off season. Yeah, it'll be good to, it'll be good to have him not have that intense, uh, you know, back, you know, two, th- those, those games are really intense because you usually play them two games within four days. A, a lot of times you've done, you know, some unbelievable plane trip to Central America for one of these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it can be a lot of wear and tear. I mean, and those trips, you know, I've, I've read a lot about some of these trips that the U.S. has taken, you know, to, you know, Costa Rica and Honduras and those places. And it's, it's you know, they're an adventure. And, you know, that's putting a mild. They're in direct uh, flights either. <laughs> yeah, with, with some of the stuff that they've put up with on these trips has is, is, is been amazing. So, anyway, uh, that's it's good news for the U.S. And, and Tim Howard uh, keeps another clean sheet. So, uh, it was like old times. Um, so brings us to Orlando city's big game on Sunday at the LA galaxy, which are, they're getting some reinforcements in a big way. Uh, and we'll talk about that. We'll give you our key matchups. We'll give you our, uh, score line prediction, and we'll talk a little bit about the game and, and we'll talk about that new addition for the galaxy right after this. All right. Well, Andrew, uh, episode 64 is starting to wind down here of the Mainland Podcast, but we can't get out of here without talking about the big match on Sunday as Orlando City tries to get another result and make it, uh, you know, either three wins in a row or at least, you know, an unbeaten streak. Because if they could get a, even just a draw at the Galaxy, it would be a great two-game road trip. Oh, without a doubt. I don't think they would. If they, if you'd ask Jason Christ if you could get four points out of this two-game road trip against the Galaxy in a Drogba-led Montreal impact, um, he would have felt pretty good about that and bitten your hand off, I think. Yeah. So, um, big news this week, uh, just dropping late in the week. He's back. Don Ovan is coming <laughs> off from, from his stint off the bench in a rec league is coming back to MLS to play in a league that has named its MVP trophy after him. Landon Donovan is going to report back to the LA Galaxy. Uh, This podcast drops on Friday. It is today, the day that this podcast drops. Landon Donovan is a member of the LA Galaxy again, and he will be available for selection on Sunday. Do you think that two days is enough time to get him game ready to play against the Lions on Sunday? Uh, I think not a full game, but I think we'd be kidding ourselves if he hasn't stayed in touch with this franchise and with Bruce Arena and having the ability to... It's not like they've really changed their tactics. They they still play the same football they did when he retired. Um, I just... I can't believe that he chose this weekend of all of them when we have to play them, you know, the single time this season that he comes back. Because they were looking weak and they'd had some serious injuries to some big players for them. Um, Van Damme was out, Gerard was out, Sardis is out. You know, they were looking <laughs> a little weakened. And then all of a sudden they get really their, their talisman who stayed within this franchise is going to come back and strip up for them. I don't think he starts, but I think if they look in trouble, 60 minutes onwards is going to be Donovan time. Just from an emotional standpoint, this has to be a huge lift for L.A. Uh, I, I think it's immeasurable at this point. The fans are going to be behind this. Um, 
<laughs> the coach is going to be happy that he's got this kind of reinforcement. The players are... Uh, There's not many players that he didn't play with during his time at the LA Galaxy. They they still have a real good core group of players. Um, this is just going to be such a swell and something that they need. And is it something that they come on and hopefully don't put six on us or something? <laughs> um, it, it's going to be an interesting find out. Yeah, I could have lived with him waiting till Monday to do this. I, I totally Monday would have been a great news day for this story to drop. We would have flown out of town with three points. We could have come back. <laughs> it would have been great. And instead, now, I mean, you know, also this goes to about how do we go about planning for him? Because I, you have to believe that he probably is able to play 90 minutes if they wanted him to. I think he probably has the fitness. It's whether or not he has the game sharpness to go for that long, mm -hmm. I think, is the biggest key. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how much he's kept in shape. Like, how how good of fitness does he really have? And, you know, that sharpness with the, with the teammates is one thing. But also, playing in a game where you're physically competing against other people is a lot different than running on a treadmill or even going out jogging around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, when you're battling guys and guys are trying to knock you off the ball. And that's, you know, he's, he's not a spring chicken. You know, he's not the oldest guy in the league, but he's not a spring chicken. And maybe that's something that actually... Maybe Orlando City could even exploit that. Who knows? The, you know that lack of sharpness, and maybe they'll be able to turn him over. And you know, guys that are, are you know, pests like MPG can maybe you know just stay on him, and and we'll see. But I mean, it's it's good for the league, but it's certainly the timing sucks for Orlando City because now it's like everybody wants to see Landon come back and score, and it's like you're almost going against the weight of the entire world watching. You know? Yeah, and and all of a sudden it's. It was probably already going to be a sellout crowd anyway, but now it's definitely going to be a sellout crowd. You're mm -hmm. going to have some real. They already. I mean, even with those injuries that I listed off before, they still got some really big, good players. Boateng kind of hit his stride the other day. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Dos Santos, who's had so much of a better introduction to this league than somebody like Akubo Torres has had. I mean, who's now in. Mm -hmm. I think he's even left MLS again. Um, this is a team that is dangerous. The one thing that we have potentially be able to exploit is Brian Rowe just looks so bad as their goalkeeper right now. <laughs> well, we hope so because, um, you know, uh, a, an informed Kyle Lahren and an informed Kaká and an informed, uh, well, he hasn't really looked like he's been informed lately, but Kevin Molino, those guys could fill the net if, if the goalkeeper's not up to snuff. So uh, it really will be a, about, you know, beating the back line and then beating Rowe. And uh, you know, testing the goalkeeper from everywhere, um, it's it's going to be a fun game. I mean, this is the team that you know they you know they remember last year getting shellacked at the Citrus Bowl, mm -hmm. and they're not gonna they're not gonna like that. You know, of course they had some some key members missing for that game too. But here's the thing that really surprised me with the LA Galaxy, Andrew. I was looking at the the standings today, and unbeknownst to me, how quickly they did it. Somehow, L.A. has passed Orlando City for the most draws in MLS. Uh, wow. They have 14 draws, um, and they're in third place in the Western Conference. And the reason they, they're in there is because they, they won a lot of games early, and then they've drawn a ton of games. They have only won one of their last eight games, but they've only lost one of their last 14 games. Yeah, and that, that makes a huge difference. I'm just taking a look right now. We have how many... 
our losses, we've got seven losses on the season. They've only got four, which is the lowest in the league. So that's going to help you get what you need to be going. <laughs> um, and that doesn't bode well for us. At home, they have not lost at home this season. Oh, I've just read that. Make me sad. Well, let's hope for a draw. Because like you said, a four-point two-game road swing against two playoff teams yeah. is a is a very good set of results. And, you know, maybe... Maybe we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Maybe Jason Christ has these guys even they're going to be even better maybe next time. The the tough thing for Orlando City is both games on the road and um you know Galaxy obviously not both games on the road for their quick turnaround and you know Orlando didn't come from home. They're they're you know in Canada and then flying from Canada commercially by the way yeah. to LA and um and you've got Laren and Molino flying in from other places. Actually Molino and Ramos flew out, I believe, today commercially uh, with a member of the uh, Orlando City communications staff to join the team out in L.A., and Laren was flying in from Canada. So, um, yeah, they're, they're coming in from all different directions, and, uh, you know, it's just, can, can Jason Kreiss get them focused to play in a very raucous, at, which is going to be a very raucous atmosphere? Uh, L.A. is going to be... It's just going to absolutely be insane, that atmosphere with Landon Donovan coming back. If he makes, I mean, even if he didn't make the 18 and somehow pulled a muscle or something between now and Sunday, it's still going to, just the fact that he's back is going to lift the excitement of that crowd. Oh, without a doubt. I, they, they have a tough run in against a lot of great teams in the West. Um, this is just I, I can't imagine the mentality lift that they have received because they don't look good at the back. But going forward with the addition of Donovan, they look dangerous. And he's going to have some new service and be able to spot <laughs> off. And I, I think you probably, I mean, I'm looking, they don't have too many healthy forwards right now. So maybe he does start and then Alan Gordon spots him off um, in the last 30 or so. It, it's going to be a toss-up. But either way, this crowd will be so pumped up that he's back. And that is a dangerous environment for us to go into after we shellacked them last season. But the one saving grace is they didn't hold on against RSL and Wednesday night. And maybe that shakiness is still there too. Well, with that, why don't we get on to our, our key matchups and our scoreline predictions for Sunday. What do you think is going to happen? And, and where do you think this game is going to be won and lost? Uh, my key, ma- my, my win or loss is on the wings. Um, they have some really great dangerous players in Boateng and Leggett. I think it's really going to be about Alston and Bowden being able to keep them quiet and not getting burned by their speed. Um, any balls over the top, Bowden and Alston are going to have to be able to deal with because if... Um, Arjar and Mateos get pulled out of shape to Santos or Lorenowitz are going to be right there to, to just start putting them in on frame um, with the addition of Donovan even if he doesn't play I think this game gets a lot tougher than it was um, the LA defense is not good right now um, they're basically playing with two guys at the back that haven't had a lot of minutes so we do have opportunities to score um, with the addition of Donovan, I without Donovan, I was going to go 1-1. One, one. With Donovan, I think that they come out 2-1 winners. Okay, well, yeah, this is going to be a difficult game for sure. I would say that uh, my key matchup is going to be the entire Orlando City back line against the attacking players uh, of, of the LA Galaxy. I think that this is, 
you know, you mentioned earlier, Aha and Mateos have started three games together now as the central back pairing. They have allowed two goals, and really one of them, not so much their fault, because, you know, it should have been kept out of the net by, by Bendik. But, um, you know, they, they've, they've done a good job of limiting the, those golden scoring chances that Orlando City have been given up. They've done a good job of just keeping everything to the exterior. You know, Montreal had 17 shots the other night, and that kind of shocked me when I saw how many they had mm-hmm. because I think so many of them came from tough angles and from distance that it just didn't dawn on me that they had that many shots. So I, I think that we've seen, you know, somewhat of a wall being built around the area, and I, hopefully that, that trend will continue. So, uh, but I really think that you know, with the attacking players, especially when you add a, somebody as nifty as Landon Donovan to the mix, that's my key matchup. That that defensive line has got to hold up and protect Joe Bendick from from those those secondary runners and those uh, you know guys getting into the box in numbers. That's that's the thing that the that the defense really has to stop. So that for me is my key matchup. Uh, I would go, I was going to be optimistic and suggest a two-two road draw at the Galaxy. But with this Donovan news, you know, again, here's a guy who's he's a little bit older. He's been out of the game for a little bit, uh, but such a dynamic player. And I just think because of the the emotional lift itself that he'll give this team, I think maybe the Galaxy gets a 3-2 win in this game. And, and it pains me to say that the Galaxy could score three goals against the, the defense the way it's played lately. But that's just how good of an attack that they have and how good a coach that Bruce Arena is that I think that that can happen. And and still, you know, maybe that comes on like nine chances. Maybe that comes on like nine shots. But I think that they're that good that they can put three of nine in. Yeah. I, and I think that's that's our biggest risk is we we also go from having those games where our defense is basically a solid wall. Mm. Uh, and then we go somewhere else and almost it's just porous like you just you can't believe everything's getting through or we make that one bad challenge but let's be honest we've grown in those ways we we don't make those silly fouls there wasn't even Arjar's foul in the first minute wasn't a silly foul it was a tactical foul he just hopes that (laughs) Bendik has the ability to stop what's going to come at him and that time he didn't but every other time it was it, it was great play by them and I would be sad to see it our defense concede three because um, they're not they're not looking like it right now. But it, the Galaxy right. are so good going forward, and we struggle with high tempo offense sometimes that we just can't hold on to it. We did against Montreal. Can we take it into a two game streak when we got to travel forty five hundred miles? <laughs> <laughs> that's going to remain to be seen. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of what goes into my prediction, too, is the fact that they're on the road those extra days and the Galaxy's at home those extra days. So uh, that certainly will play into it. Uh, The Galaxy have built somewhat of a fortress out there in Carson, as you mentioned, with the, you know, haven't been beaten at home. And, you know, I mean, I think the best thing that Orlando City could do is to just approach this game like they did the Colorado game and say, let's just defend, take care of our end, and then maybe we'll hit them on a counter and, and get one somehow you know if we could hold them out maybe we could steal the points but um you know that's that's also very difficult to do against a team like la as you mentioned they're they're very dynamic uh in the attack and and the fact that they put three on ramondo and rsl um 
you know, speaks highly of that offense. And that's without Landon Donovan. Yeah, that's without him. And that's, uh, and, you know, you mentioned that could be our mentality. That's a really dangerous mentality for just holding back and seeing if you can kind of soak up that pressure because that's a lot of pressure. And it's even more so now that you're going to have really the 13th man because Donovan was the 12th man because he's really two guys because he's also pumping up that crowd. And you're going into a hostile environment like the StubHub Center where the Galaxy don't lose games. They haven't done it this season. So it's a big ask for us to, to travel that far. But at least we get some reinforcements. We haven't really talked about. We are at least getting Laren and Molino back. But mm-hmm. are they additions after that performance we saw the other night? It's it it's going to be tough to know because we played so well against yeah. Montreal. Absolutely, and and again, leggy team from from being on the road the extra days. Uh, and you know, Molino and and Laren, you know, Molino's not traveling any further than the team is, and he has an extra day's rest actually over the rest of Orlando City's players. Uh, so there's that. And, you know, Laren, he got subbed off early Tuesday night, too. So he didn't play the full 90. And, uh, you know, as karma would have it, as soon as Canada took him off, they gave up a goal. <laughs> so and, and what was weird was that Floro took him off knowing they needed to make up goal differential. And he took off like two attacking players and put out like defensive players. Uh, it was almost like he was conceding. Yeah, we're not going to make the hex. So I'm not I'm just going to. You know, I'm going to save my guys. guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Saving them for what, man? What are you saving them for? You know what, though? Uh, I, I, I got to give a nod, too, because I, I like national teams that realize that, though, because there are some national team coaches out there that are just like, yeah, he's my player. I'm just going to run him into the ground. And I like the fact that he was at least being like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Let's get these guys back to the club safe, healthy, and and be good with it. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It would have been interesting had Mexico scored on any number of golden chances they had against Honduras <laughs> the other night uh, to see how he would have gotten roasted for those substitutions. Because, I, you know, I watched the second half of that Mexico-Honduras game, and it was it was just a barrage at the Honduras net. I mean, and there were at least four clear-cut, should-have-been-a-goal chances that somehow Mexico missed the net. They had one from right above the six-yard box that I don't know how he missed. I have absolutely no idea how that ball didn't go in the net, but he somehow shot it over the net. It was a, it was a definite Wando. It was a Wando move right there. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, at that point, it would have put, it would even put the goal differential even more in, in Canada's favor, and they could have maybe snuck in uh, had Mexico been able to put another one in the net. But it was not to be. Kyle Aaron won't go into the hex, and now he'll rejoin his teammates, and hopefully, uh, he'll be able to contribute. On, uh, on Sunday. And, you know, the good thing about the way Rivas played is now you've got an opportunity to start Laren and then bring that incredible pace off the bench, uh, you know, at, at the 60-minute mark when Laren starts to tire. Yeah, I, I think that's something that Heath probably wishes if he could go back and, and have that ability. He would have certainly probably still been in his job, but maybe you never see that. Carlos Rivas persona if he stays in, in leading this team. Yeah, I mean some some guys just don't buy in for some coaches, and maybe that was the case with with Nocherino and, and Rivas under Heath. But somehow Jason Christ has gotten those two to buy in and and to to commit and to have confidence in what they're doing, and and they look amazing. One thing that I was told by the San Jose guys was that 
Perez Garcia is a good player, but he doesn't play any defense. But we've seen a number of outstanding defensive plays by him since he's arrived. Oh, without a doubt. I think he his defensive play has almost rivaled Carrasco and Nocerino at times, and they're required to stay back there. <laughs> yeah. You know, MPG's at least going forward and setting up goals and getting assists, and that's what we really wanted to see from a Hegida or a Seren, and we just never saw that. They Hegida's touch in the last third, as you so oftenly point out, is atrocious. Yeah, it's bad. And whereas around, we've got that ability to have a final touch with MPG, and I think that's where we're seeing a turnaround. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the first goal that Kaká scored against New York City was a defensive gem from MPG started that play. He took the ball off Pirlo's foot in his defensive third. Yep. Um, you know, that's not something I expected after talking to the San Jose bloggers, that this guy is a guy who's going to drop back, play defense in the midfield in his own end, and start plays like that. But he created that goal out of that turnover. And then, you know, like we mentioned, the Montreal game, again, defensive play, just taking the ball right off the defender's foot. Mm -hmm. So uh, just a really outstanding player. And again, as much as we all loved Adrian Venter, this is Adrian Venter who's quicker and more skilled with the ball. Yeah, and I. But you know, we say that, but maybe Vinta could have developed into him because I think Vinta's four or five years younger than he is. Oh sure, yeah, he's definitely older than Vinta. So so maybe you know maybe he's got that that wily um, experience uh, <laughs> in in addition to all those other things. But yeah, Vinter certainly. Vinter may actually be a better finisher around the net than than MPG actually. Oh, that's a that's a. I don't say that's a hot take, but it, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, look at the goals scored over the last two years. If Vinter had more goals than MPG over the last two years, I believe. I, I without a doubt, um, MPG is not known for scoring goals, um, but I I'm so glad that I know him for his hustle. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I just keep thinking back to man, if if Christ got to coach Vinter, what kind of player that would made him? No, oh. uh, because he would have been perfect in a in a Jason Christ system. So, but anyway, Andrew, I think we've done all the damage we can for this week. Again, we didn't have any guests, but you know, we didn't have one last week, and that kind of turned out okay. <laughs> it, it, we survived once again. We just decided to fill it up with us talking really nonstop for a wrong period of time about <laughs> yeah. all of the Orlando City games, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I think we we did a, a lot of good justice to the to the Orlando City Montreal win, and it's been a while since we've gotten to talk about wins back to back, so it's it's kind of exciting. We're, and um, we get carried away a little bit. <laughs> we're going for more positivity. That's right. We're trying <laughs> to do this this the positive way, but uh, you know, it, it's very difficult at times to to cover a team that. Is, that is not performing well and not getting results. So, you know, you. but the thing about all those losses is how great they make the wins feel. Oh, they're, they're ever so much sweeter. They really are. If you don't go through the bad times, you don't really appreciate the good times nearly as much. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that this is going to be a repeat of last year when Orlando City won five in a row, in, you know, starting in September. But if it turns out that Orlando City is a September team that would bode well for the playoff race because right now they head into the weekend above the red line and uh, with some tiebreakers over some of the teams that are around them and uh, actually pulling within shouting distance of Montreal, which seemed really, really far in the distance just a few days ago. But now they look up and they're not too far behind 
Montreal team that has not won a lot of games recently. So there is hope on the horizon that this team can put together a run uh, under Jason Kreiss and, and perhaps make that first appearance in the MLS Cup playoffs. I, I think it certainly looked like it was going to be really hard to catch Montreal, but like you say, we're now within touching distance. You feel like it's not just the sixth spot that we're competing for. It is potentially the fifth spot as well. Um, unlike OCB that is just firmly rooted to <laughs> playing just for the at that eighth spot. Um, it's great that we kind of have that little bit more leverage that you can see somebody starting to fall that little bit because that kind of buoys you as well. It seems less of an arduous task. You can, you can make it up. Even if you slip, you, you still have the ability to make it, and that's, that's the confidence you need to go into the final stretch. And it's the big difference over last year because last year you were chasing one team. There was like this, this unbelievable little outside shot at catching Toronto. Mm-hmm. But you needed a ton of help. But it was really about catching Montreal last year. And I think that even though they won those five games and put themselves in a position that they that if the right things happened on the last day, they could make the playoffs, that was such um, a monumental, you know, difficult run that they did just to stay in that chase that I just don't think they had anything left for that Philadelphia Union game at the end. And knowing that they have, you know, a little bit, you know, they're a lot closer at this point than they were last year, um, despite the fact being behind on points from last year uh, is something that, you know, will, will keep them, you know, motivated. And I think Jason Christ probably uh, speaking a little bit more of the player's language than maybe Adrian Heath was, uh, you know, earlier in this season. And, and, and again, you win two games in a row. Every team should win two games in a row at some point during the season. <laughs> but you know, it does look like even in the losses, for the most part, Orlando City has looked like they have become a better team. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, start Sunday against L.A. You know, we might be back here next week going, we're never making the playoffs if it's a 6 nothing game, but um, which can happen at L.A. Yep. Uh, but, you know, right now we're optimistic and we're going to go into the weekend optimistic. And, you know, if we have to be depressed next week, we'll, we'll push that to, to next week. I, I will take it. <laughs> <laughs> I need some happiness. Yes. All right. So follow us on Twitter, please. We are at the mainland. You can read our stuff on themainland.com, and it's M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N. So when you spell Maine, spell it like a lion's mane, because that's what we do. That's how we do it. And uh, of course, uh, like us uh, on Facebook, and and uh, you know, please leave us uh, some positive feedback on on iTunes if you enjoy what you hear from us. Uh, but we will wrap it up now and uh, see what happens against Don Ovan and company on Sunday. And we'll be back next week to talk about all of that and uh, the uh, preparation for uh, a team that was a rival last year but seems suddenly not to be a rival anymore with Kai Kamara disappearing to New England. And that's the Columbus uh, crew coming in for the lone home game of September. And uh, we'll do all of that uh, at the same time next week. And uh, so for... Our good friend Andrew Harrison, senior columnist at the Mainland. I'm Michael Citro, the managing editor, signing off, saying, Go City. <laughs>